going to be looking at an article from the journal uh, or the strength and conditioning journal from the NSCA volume 45, number six that came out in 2013, December. It's the cover with a guy swinging a golf club. And the article that we're going to go to is individualization of training based on sprint, uh, sprint force velocity profiles, a conceptual framework for biomechanical and technical training recommendations. This came from a series of authors and the abstract that we're talking about here is the purpose of this article is to provide practitioners with a system of categories to individualize training prescription from a sprint force velocity profile to enhance performance in team and individual sport athletes. This is interesting to me because this is what I did my dissertation on. My dissertation was on individualized force velocity profiling and training um, as measured with drop jump performance for RSI. So what we did is we took a drop jump performance off of uh, 18 inch, excuse me, a 15 inch drop height and participants landed on a force plate and we had um, the G flight next to the force plate. So that way we could get simultaneous measurements and participants performed a drop jump. We utilized a 1.4 number for the RSI based off of the prior research. And I know anybody listening out there would say that's low and I agree it's low. However, it's not low if you start looking into the population that I was looking at with football players because there are offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And, you know, you could even say, especially some of your, depending on the school that you're at, 1.4 could be a really good number. Anyways, that was the number that was utilized because of prior research. And that's what you have to do when you write a dissertation is you need to have a ton of prior research. However, what we did at, uh, Tau, excuse me, what we did at Iowa was we essentially had the the median number for your line semi and skill that's how i would recommend going and doing it anyways but then we started to have a bunch of force or velocity profile or force deficient or velocity deficient movements to help out athletes and that's essentially what this talked about where you know saying in the introduction acceleration ability is one of the key uh, components to success in athletic sprint faster team sport players often have repositioned themselves quicker sprint velocity profiles is a dynamic or a diagnostic tool so it goes on talking for one two biomechanical analysis force velocity profiling has a couple slopes this is kind of the big meat and potatoes that i wanted to talk about here because here it is again it's got so on page 714 again volume 45 number six december 2023 it's got these graphs and it has it broken up into skill, big skill and lineman, kind of like what I was talking about. And your four quadrants, so quadrant one in the top right hand corner. So it was high force and high velocity. So that's where essentially all of the skill players lived with a few linemen and, um, you know, maybe a third or not that many actually big skill guys. Then your quadrant, excuse me, quadrant two. So if you're looking at the matrix, it was the on the left-hand side top. So those were people that had high force, low velocity. Then quadrant three, that's where your linemen lived, low force, low velocity. So, you know, they, they don't produce a lot of force to begin with, and it, they're not very fast. That would be where your boy, I live. <laughs> 
uh, and then quadrant four. So they were low force, high velocity. And what the authors in this talked about, so quadrant one, high force, high velocity. Athletes in quadrant one demonstrate relative higher force and velocity across the sprint effort. The biomechanical characteristics of athletes in quadrant one would include a rate of high rate of force production in the horizontal direction while also achieving high maximum velocity. Quadrant one displays mechanical characteristics most desirable to optimize sprint performance as relative to sprint distance. External maximal power is maximized through high values of both force and velocity. So these are your athletes that they project horizontally on their initial acceleration. They don't stand up right away. They're able to have a good DRF and they're projecting horizontally. They don't stand up right away and they can get really, really fast. Those are the people that are super fun to train. I know I had a handful of them. These are your skill players, just like it showed in this quadrant. Quadrant two. So they have high force, low velocity. So athletes in quadrant two demonstrate higher relative force, but fail to reach maximum velocity across a sprint effort. Biomechanical considerations, high rate of force production in the horizontal direction, yet relatively limited max velocity. Quadrant two displays mechanical characteristics where force is the dominant variable contributing to external power expression. And so you're, you might be hearing this, you're like, okay, cool. What does all this mean? Like, what are things that we, you know, need to do and work on? Well, this is actually something that they do talk about uh on page seven uh, seven one seven seven seventeen category two they don't have um high horizontal projection and then all right so how do you actually train and fix things they would say in quadrant two characteristics they're a good accelerator low velocity so the training modality acceleration speed work resisted spent training with 25 to 50% velocity decrement, you could even say that they probably don't need to go to that much of a velocity decrement, flying sprints, assisted sprint training, improved strength shortening cycle, improved reactive strength, improved connective tissue strength. Like that does make a ton of sense because you're talking about somebody that is a good accelerator. That's why I was saying that they probably don't need a ton of the resisted sprint training. But then you're like, okay, if they're not actually going to train the quality that they're still good at, are they going to lose the ability? Because yes, you have to improve the weakness, but you also want to operate from a position of strength. So that's why I think that this is a really well done research article. Uh, anybody that's still with me, quadrant three, those are the people like me, low, low uh, horizontal projection and you don't run very fast. So what it says here, athletes in quadrant three demonstrate lower relative force and maximal velocity across a sprint effort. Biomechanical characteristics of athletes in quadrant three include a slower rate of force production in the horizontal projection and limited maximum velocity. Quadrant three displays mechanical characteristics least desirable to optimize sprint performance as relative to sprint distance. So... What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in-person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show. 
Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So check out Hawken Dynamics in the link down below. Now let's get back to the show. When I go and do my sprint training, I tell people, they're like, oh, how'd it go? I got less fat. I got less slow, right? Like, am I actually getting faster? I guess technically, but how do you help out these people that their characteristics are slower acceleration, lower velocity, uh, da, 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 da. So this is what the researchers say. Acceleration speed work less than seven seconds, resisted sprint training. And so now it's, hey, 50 to 70% velocity decrement in 10 meters and the the group above it the quadrant two they were 10 to 20 meters which again makes sense because these people are slow accelerators they do need to stay within 10 and work on it flying sprints because yes they're slow improved stretch shortening cycle strength of hip extensors soleus i mean yeah they just got to get better same with me uh quadrant four athletes in quadrant four demonstrate lower relative force but a higher respective maximal velocity across the sprint effort the biomechanical characteristics of athletes in quadrant four produce a lower rate of force production in the horizontal direction yet achieve a relatively high max velocity quadrant four displays mechanical characteristics characteristics where velocity is the dominant variable so these are athletes that they might stand up the minute they accelerate but they actually do get to a fast speed. So what the author said here, accelerative speed work, resisted sprint training, 50 to 70% velocity decrement. So they would be doing something similar to a quadrant three group. And that's the thing that I want everybody to take away from this. So when you, you know, when you take a step back and you look at what this article from this journal says, you can actually start to bucket these these people together. And that's what I want you to understand is how can you bucket them and still be able to do some individualized training? Because you've got four different groups of athletes here, but there are some commonalities. So you can, if you look here, quadrant one, two, three, and four, according to this, it says resisted sprint training <clears throat> up to 50%. So if the quadrant one and two people that are faster accelerators with lower velocity, it's still saying for them to hit up to 50% velocity decrement. That's on the high end. On the low end, your quadrant three and four are gonna hit 50% as well. Now, quadrant one and two would be hitting it for a possible longer distance and three and four for a shorter distance. So you could bucket these people and they could all be doing 50% velocity decrements over different distances. And that allows you to bucket your athletes, still be able to logistically train your athletes, but still then be able to provide the individualized training that your athletes need. And that's what I think can get oftentimes lost in the weeds is how are you able to be able to prescriptively prescribe these things in a logistical manner that works in a team setting. So I think that's something, you know, they talked about what ways to do it, you know, what training modalities that need to be done. I think where they lost it is like, okay, Hey, now how do you do it in a team setting? Uh, Because they do show a really good pictures of category one, two, three, and four people within like, what, what is it? What, what kinogram, like what are the shapes that they hit? They do a good job talking about that, but they don't, do a great job of saying like, Hey, this is how you can go about training it in the team setting. The way that you can learn that is in fundamentals. Cam Joss, one of the best people that I know in the team sport and applying sprint kinematics and 
sprint shapes, he talks about how to implement this in a team setting in fundamentals. And if you're listening to this now, fundamentals, you get CEUs for your NSCA certifications. You get 2.0 CEUs in category C for fundamentals one or two. So you can get both courses. You can get 4.0 CEUs out of the six that you need when your next reporting period, and you can learn how to implement this type of research with your athletes. So you're now providing your athletes with the individualized training that you know they need, and you can actually go about doing it in an actionable setting. So that's what we talked about today. Go ahead. You can message us at service at strengthcoachnetwork.com with an article that you'd like us to do next time. But again, it's uh, service at strengthcoachnetwork.com. Reach out to us. Let them know over at the service email what you want us to talk about, and we will do it again. But until then, happy Research Tuesday. Keep reading. Keep learning. Death to the bro science. Death to the social media science. Let's keep putting out good stuff. Later. What's up, Strength Coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out.